0: Hi, I'm Steve. How's it? I'm Sam. And welcome to the Business, business and, beers and Beers podcast. How's it to all our Business and Beers guests? Uh, today is quite a exciting episode. Um, we're featuring two guests, so you're getting a two for the price of one today. Um, but yeah, super stoked. We've... Uh, Got one of our all-time guests, Gideon, um, and yeah, this whole episode actually sparked from uh, a conversation that we had, and one of our listeners actually reached out, challenging us <laughs> over WhatsApp. So super stoked to have uh, Jason on the episode today, um, and we look forward to to where things go today. So welcome, guys. Sure, Simon. Good to be back.
1: Yeah, and yeah, thanks for having me. I'm not really your typical sort of guest, um, but yeah, I just appreciate being here, and thanks.
2: Yeah, cool, Jay, so um, tell our guests a little bit about Jason, um, where you've come from, where you're going, and then our favorite question, one random fact that not many people would know about Jason.
0: And don't lie, you had a lot of time to prep because you've listened to all of the episodes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, so I knew that question was coming, (laughs) Um, but yeah, still didn't prep for it. Um, Just a bit about me, I studied, um, I'm a civil engineer. Um, I work in the water sector, so it's not generally your traditional buildings, um, it's a bit of a deviation from what most people commonly assume civil engineers to be. Bridges. Bridges, <laughs> roads, um, pretty much anything. So yeah, we focus on network design and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I, f- I found quite a bit of interest in your, in your podcast. Uh, I think it's important that everyone has almost like a side business or an additional income um, and yeah, an interesting fact about me, not many people know that I, I did break my elbows, I don't think. Um, yeah, so recently I came off my bike, I did a cartwheel and I ended up in hospital uh, during COVID. And Jeez. yeah, uh, I had a an elbow replacement, well, a radial head replacement in the left and some pins in the right. And yeah, now now I'm building towards a <laughs> robotic future, I guess.
2: That's crazy, bro. Who takes you mountain biking like that? No, I'm just joking. So, Jay, let's quickly jump in. You mentioned um, a little bit, well, really quickly about a side hustle. Um, I think it will be a great topic for all of us to discuss. But um, obviously, my um, current business came from a side hustle. Gideon's is also a bit of a side hustle. So, Jay, do you have a side hustle that you're thinking about? Do you have something on the cards? Or
1: Yeah, yeah. so... um. Whilst I was studying, uh, I found a company that deals a lot in concrete furniture, concrete item design sort of thing, Um, with a focus on like tables, kitchen, countertops, um, basins, and all of that kind of up. And I just saw the the pricing of these things. And through my studies, I realized how easy it is uh, for someone with that knowledge to to build on pre-existing ideas and sort of challenge the, the idea of boring concrete. Um, so yeah, I, I started something in university um, and yeah, I somehow through a few friends and family it, it kicked off a little bit. Um, it was able to help me with my studies a little bit. Um, and yeah, through there I just started developing some products and yeah, I'm looking to, to build on that. Um, but yeah, it's all been a side hustle. A lot has happened in the <laughs> from working it's it's difficult to to try and navigate um such a busy life where you're still trying to work on something additional to um, your your current work environment or your career um and yeah so for a while now it's been secondary to to my, my main focus which is obviously just building on my civil engineering career um but I still think that it's something that that can can take off I think
0: you're a little bit humble in what you say there, because uh, not a lot of people know with your civil engineering job, I mean, you often push in 16 to 20 hours a day. So that also makes the side hustle very difficult because, you know, ultimately, where do you find time to mix concrete, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Well, this last Thursday, I think I was on an hour and a half sleep. so yeah, I, I had like a 22-hour work day the other day. But that was just reaching targets. And yeah, so sometimes things get a bit busy at work. Um, but that's something that I'm actually grateful for. Um, especially during COVID times, there's a lot of people that aren't busy. There's a lot of people that have struggled in this time. So yeah, um, it is difficult finding time. A lot of my weekends are spent on, on creating. Let's put it that way. And yeah, at this stage, I'm not going to... I haven't employed anyone to to start pouring concrete so i'm doing everything from the from pouring to to yeah letting a cure finishing doing everything um so yeah i am lucky i've got my dad he's a he's an old bully there but he's he's keen to help out wherever he can and he's still got quite a bit of strength in his in his legs (laughs) um so yeah that's where i am but it is definitely very very difficult to navigate 'Cause I, I think this is kind of where the whole
0: conversation sparks from is it leads into this whole thing of what we speak about with like scalability. And, you know, having your side hustle and I know we chatted on our previous podcast with uh, with kids is in terms of this like exponential growth of like the business and stuff. And I think that's where the whole debate started because it was like, you know, is a business exponential? If it's not, and um, I think that, that's where everything sparked from is looking at a business and how do you make it scalable in an exponential thing but also understanding your background that to make something scalable exponentially with zero time
1: how do you do that <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh so Gideon yeah you you mentioned you you had a you made a comment or or you have an idea of what a successful business model entails Um and obviously that's one that focuses or has exponential growth rather than one that's trends in a linear sort of, sort of fashion. Um,
0: yeah. He has a scientific facts coming out. So no, it's like I already like got the graphs yeah, made yeah. out. No, no, <laughs> um, so the,
1: the only reason that I think that that hit me was because I have no clue how I would be able to scale my business in an X to so that it follows an exponential curve. Um, I think it's just very difficult, and the only model that I could think of that would follow such a curve is something that's—it's a product online, or your kidneys, um, or your kidneys, <laughs> I guess, uh, have t- um, <laughs> or or perhaps like like a book. So, I think uh, I spoke to Steve and um, Simon about this. Uh, if you do look, if you put this analytically, you've got a graph of your cumulative time spent on your x and then on your y it's sales or or money in um and yeah the only thing i can think of is that if you perhaps writing a book obviously your sales at a certain stage is going to be very min- well it's going to be zero um so your income is going to be zero so it's going to be a very very flat curve or very flat line yeah and only then when you start marketing and when your book's ready to be published or um it's ready for sale for sales that's when you're going to start having that exponential sort of growth without minimum time put into your, to your business.
2: Yeah, Just to add there, I think the whole idea of exponential growth is that one day I sell one book, and the next day I'll sell 10, and the next day hopefully I'm going to sell <coughs> 20. And the whole idea of that is that exponential growth, that then your total sales in that example, what did I say, 10, 20, and 2 is 32 so Gideon, yeah, you, you can jump in first. You had the, the comments. So what are your thoughts around that? So, and obviously, Jason's given us a great example of his business being this concrete business.
3: Yeah. No, I, so I definitely hear what you're saying. And, and I think uh, I like the way that you looked at it on a graph. So you have time. Is that correct? You have time on the X axis and, and sales on the Y axis. And I think that's really cool because if you look at something like a book, that's almost like a one off project where obviously there is going to be more time um, to market it, that'll go. But in terms of actually creating a product, you only do that once and, uh, and thereafter you can sort of sell that. So you, there's no cap in terms of how, how many books you could sell. That just comes down to how good you are at marketing. Whereas if you look at like actually physically building like a concrete, you know, chair or countertop or something like that, uh, do you agree that you sort of reach a peak where, you know, your, your time in equals your output and your income that comes from that time? And to break through out of that level becomes really, really difficult unless you start to, like, hire a team and sort of set up, like, a big manufacturing plant around that. But um, but even with that, like, you've, you've got, like, a factory and you've got people who are still putting in time to create a product and then only when that product is created can they sell that. So have you ever thought about maybe just creating, like, one product? So just, like, one piece of furniture that you could almost, like, uh, you could perfect it, you could come up with the design and everything, and then you could outsource that to like another factory that has like a huge capability of creating that, and then you almost go exclusively onto just marketing it. So you know that the machine behind you can manufacture 500 of them in a month, or they can manufacture five. They've got the the capacity, and it's then your job to go and create demand for 500 or 5,000 of that one product.
1: Yeah, for sure. So... The reason that I, I moved away from, obviously, like, kitchen countertops was the time and effort it took to actually go measure. And all these special item orders, it, it does become, like, very time consuming. But at the time, that was my, my main, like, almost target market, was just creating something that um, people hadn't seen before. But yeah, I've definitely thought, and I'm in the process of getting at least um, I, hopefully about four firm products um but yeah maybe
2: four. how did you choose those four products
1: honestly i I just saw what's what sold among the people that i sold my items to and what they were asking for um so it was a very very primitive um, sort of market research but, but it was something that, that, it did work. It ended up, um, people love concrete basins, and people love these entryway tables. They're small, they're cheaper than, than obviously your dining tables, mm-hmm. um, and they're less cumbersome to, to sort of navigate and move around.
0: Uh, you, yeah, Both of you touched like a, a really critical thing. Um, I sat with a couple of small business owners yesterday, And this exact same problem, if you could call it, came up um, in terms of scalability. Because I fully agree with you, Gideon, at getting the product, almost outsourcing it, and then you doing the heavy lifting in terms of the sales and the marketing. But the flip side of sitting with these business owners that have been in business for 25 years, and I know Jason and I chatted about it briefly, but also the concept of what you're selling is IP and the biggest challenge is then how do you overcome this of outsourcing the work that I've got but someone doesn't have the vested interest because at the end of the day a table's a table what you're buying is Jason and I'm buying your rp of what you put in the table so again it's on the scalability how how do I manage those people that are outsourced to and I know that the quality is going to be exactly what I do
3: Yes, so I think look, I obviously haven't experienced any any business like this, but I think we can look at other examples of companies like this. Um, and I think a great example would be Gymshark, right? You guys are aware of Ben Francis, the, the kid from the UK, Birmingham, who started Gymshark, gymwear company. It's not an old company; what five years old, something like that. It's really young, and it's just been valued at over over a million, over a billion euros. I think one point four billion euros. And, uh, and it's, now, it's now up there competing with like Nike, Under Armour, Adidas, these kind of big companies that have been around for, for many decades. And I think that every business has like different degrees of exp- exponentiality. So if you look at like a software product, like an Instagram or Facebook or something, that's almost like your holy grail of being exponential because they build it once and then you know, they can literally go to like a billion users within like a couple of years, right? But then I think you can also look at companies like Gymshark where they, um, they, they may not be as exponential as like a software product like Instagram and stuff because they still actually have to manufacture goods and, and that is linear in some degree. But they haven't spent a long time building out their own sort of factories and you know, planting their own cotton plants and then doing that. What they did is that they worked with influencers to create a huge amount of demand very, very, very quickly for their products. Then they refined their product, and then they outsourced that, and they partnered with great companies in China or wherever their manufacturers are. So it's almost like they skipped that whole, that whole step of having to figure out the manufacturing and build out their own staff and stuff there, and they just found people who've already established that, that part of the business, and they focused exclusively on partnering with influencers and YouTubers to create like a, a ton of
0: demand. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's probably one of like the, the best modern-day use cases. And something that you mentioned there, because this also sparked from those two case scenarios of what you got in a business. You've got like a linear business. And as we discussed, if your business is linear, it's almost like, what's the point of doing it? And then exponentially, that's ideally where you want your business to be. And then we also started discussing it in more detail. And then we also said, at what point do... You let me actually rephrase it. So, I've worked for a company before where they did not actually want to exponentially grow. They grew their business to, um, you know, a very comfortable place. Um, you know, the shareholders had property all over. They drove lacquer cars. They travelled the world. Life was comfortable. So, you know, when I came in the business and I said, "Great guys, we need to push to over hundred million rand business because the potential is there," the guys just said, "But why? We're comfortable."
3: Yeah, I, th- I think it. it I, you, you said, what's the point? And I think for many people, it's still awesome to build a business where you're hands-on and you involved in the product development. And I think people, a lot of people find joy in that. So um, I, I think there's definitely still a, like a point in terms of building a linear business. Um, some people would love to build an agency and grow step by step by step. But I think... Um, it's just worth looking at and saying well in in today's day and age where you can put in the same amount of effort and energy and go through the pain of building a business but you can benefit from scalability on the internet or you can grow linear whereas back in the day we didn't have the option I think it's just worth looking at your business model and saying well how how can I uh, sort of use as much of the internet as I can to grow quickly Um, but I definitely don't think that there's no point in, in building a business that's not exponential I just think if you want to make a lot of money, it's worth looking at the internet and, and considering it.
2: Yeah, I think just to add, uh, there was two points I, um, I wanted to to raise there. Obviously, in Jason's example, the benefit of outsourcing it is capital as well. You know, if you have a facility that's already making concrete, you just coming in, giving a little bit of your IP, the, the capital that you need to outlay is obviously a lot less. You know, that obviously helps. If you look at Gymshark's example, they're obviously... I'm sure they just decided well we're going to put our capital into marketing or building facilities because I'm pretty sure the the cost would have been more or less the same. They went with marketing and then relying on suppliers. I think it, it is really risky with suppliers because it could go two ways. They either don't meet your quality or but yeah, that's a discussion for another day. And then the the other point that I wanted to make with uh, with Simon your example that company you went into. I think the biggest struggle we have as business owners, obviously my business is only just over a year old, but Um, I found myself now almost on a daily basis trying to remind myself why I started. Um, Especially on the days when things get really difficult. Um, And to be honest and to be fair, um, at first it was for money. Like I thought money would be the greatest, like just chase the dollar, if we can call it that. But you need a bigger purpose. And um, Simon Sinek and his team, they really have written amazing books on this. Like you need to find your why. Um, Like example for Jason, like at this moment, your why could be that you're providing amazing things for your family um, and people and like good quality products at affordable prices. Like that can be your why. And the reason why that's so important is your why doesn't need to fluctuate even when times are tough. When you've only sold five, your why still stands. Um, Even when the money's down, we get hit by COVID, your why's still solid. So I think that's important. You know, Simon, obviously this example you speaking about, their why was obviously... Uh, money and a a holiday house in Plet or whatever it may be and their why has now been fulfilled. But then you need to find the next why and then I think that's where the whole scalability example that Gideon speaks about that you can scale within your business as well. They should have looked to you, Simon, and been like, oh, this guy's got a lot more drive. He wants to take this thing. Well, then lean the why on his shoulders to build the business up a bit more. So that was just uh, my two cents and um, yeah, Jason, so I just wanted to ask you a bit more. You've said you've now... Drill down to four products. Do you think that is a scalable solution? Are you still gonna do it? You said you've got your dad that's helping you a lot. Um, you are obviously trying to balance this massive I call it a corporate career, um, but like now trying to to be the best of an engineer, like where does your mind sit at this stage?
1: So yeah. Um, it is a bit of a difficult situation that I'm finding myself in because obviously I've probably got about 10 products that i think or i truly believe in that would sell um but yeah i think i've got four that that have been targeted just based on what i've sold in the past and and what's worked in the past and something that i think will just continue to sell they're cheap to they're cheap to make they're quick to produce and they they seem to be in demand i'm no marketing guru like you guys so (laughs) That's yeah. That's that's another conversation that we can have. Um, but I think you asked too how, how am I balancing that sort of situation. It's it's very difficult, and I briefly discussed this with uh, Simon. Um, I'm employed, and I'd like to employ, if that makes sense. So, but I'm employed to work in the business, and not on a business. So it's often the case now where I don't have the time that such a business requires. So if I had to employ someone, um, I'd want them to to be almost full time and and just have the same sort of drive or the same sort of capacity or mindset that I have for this business. So it's very difficult to find someone that's willing to do that. and yeah uh, i have i do have um, a friend of mine that's also another civil engineer that's that's looking at um, possible possible routes or possible methods and we're just trying to come up with some ideas on how how we can distribute our time um, and make something like this Mm. work but briefly simon did mention i have two people working on a business Um, that's me and this other friend of mine um It's very difficult because we're both working on a business, we've got full time jobs, both civil engineers, both on sites, both working crazy hours during these these weird times. Um, And yeah, there's two people working
2: on the business and I don't think that that's got enough capacity to actually push something like this forward. Yeah, I think. You raise a valid point. So it, it gives us another great topic to discuss. Um, I know Gideon and I briefly chatted about this before, so I'm going to be interested to see if his view still viewpoint is still the same. So my viewpoint is in that kind of situation. For someone to have, you obviously you'd need to get along with the employee. That you, you can quite easily determine how much drive they have. But for me, it would be about skin in the game. So you would say to someone, okay, we've got this business, we've got this great idea, you need to buy in. So I don't... I don't feel you should ever give equity away for free. Um, Someone should always buy into your business and buy your ideas. Um, So yeah, I'd love to hear, Simon, your thoughts, Gideon, and then we'll end off with Jason. What is your thoughts now? If we were in this predicament as Jason, someone comes to you, they've got a bit of cash, they're willing to run it full time. What should Jason do? I know it's a figurative example, but I think it's just a great topic um, because people sit at this option where you've got a side hustle, you can scale it, do you employ someone, do you give them options in owning your business to keep the, the drive I think let's start with Simon.
0: yeah look it, it's it's definitely definitely a tough one but there's a couple of points also on this discussion and I think this is where a lot of small businesses uh, business owners get caught up um, you know myself working with a lot of small businesses and medium businesses uh, I'm fortunate to see things from the outside and I think that the biggest challenge with business owners business owners today is you get this perception that you need to know everything. I need to know marketing. I need to know sales. I need to know distribution, supply chain, et cetera.
2: Didn't you know you must be the CEO, (laughs) CTO, COO?
0: (laughs) But I think that's the biggest misconception is what we get taught, um, you know, from school, university, reading all these books. Like, I, I think business owners nowadays need to get that, like, sorry for my language, but shit out the head that's why you've got a network and um, that's why it's good to have sessions like this that's why it's good to chat to the people in your network because when you're stuck in the problem in a situation right now you'll never see the face of it um, again using the example yesterday sitting with a couple of these business owners this one business owner didn't know how to knock the door down to get an opportunity active and i'm sitting there and i'm like flip me that's the easiest thing ever man give me five minutes i'll tell you i'll give you a strategy on how to knock the door down but again, that's my specialty. And I think that's where you, know, you need to start leaning on the people like, in the network. And, and I think also taking the business forward, you know, 100%. I think there's kind of like a combination. You definitely have to have people that are putting skin in the game. Um, I think it's core that you find people with similar values and beliefs, but also in people that are not going to necessarily agree with you. I think that's also another misconception is that we need people on network that are going to love everything that we say. Again, sitting in the session yesterday, um, like I was nearly going to block some out my because he was challenging everyone in this room that you didn't get a chance to talk. But reflecting on what he was saying, he was actually telling you the truth. And I think that, you know, probably for business owners that like whole things amplified to a huge extent, you don't like to hear the truth and yeah. you don't want someone to pinpoint like where you're going wrong and i think that's critical to have someone like that in the business um but i know like jason and i chatted about it quite a bit is looking at ways where you can almost put your ip in a bar off the shelf solution and looking at like outsourcing because the way that the business is right now um to actually give yourself time in the business is practically impossible you're going to reach burnouts, and your business is not going to reach the goals Um, So it's almost looking at where your business is now and then looking at ways to capitalize. Um, So almost putting your IP in a recipe, you know, you go to pick and pay and you buy these brownie mixes. Um, You're doing all the work at home, but the IP, you don't own the IP, you buy the IP. You know, so yeah, I know that's like a a long-winded answer, but I think it's looking at the network, ensuring that the people that you're working with have the same values and ethics, that they'll challenge you. Um, And then also looking at ways to capitalize on the time that you have now, looking at ways you can scale with what you have available and whether it be a huge outsourcing model for now making cash and then, you know, bringing that in. Mm
2: Yeah, i just want to quickly add onto that simon before you go gideon uh, i think uh, i love uh, simon sinek as well but he refers to it as sweat equity you know that's still getting equity in your business like saying to someone listen you're going to work for three months for free that's you buying into the business so it doesn't necessarily have you know we hear all these success stories of these fintech startups that get a hundred million and someone buys in it doesn't have to be that figure yeah so gideon tell us your thoughts on um equity and like uh, yeah all that
3: yeah so i think look obviously it's it's a very new journey for me so this is i'm also very much just figuring this out for the first time this year but um but i have actually gone through the process of like looking to bring someone in as like a a young marketing grad as kind of like a partner on certain projects and spent a lot of time training this person up and then realized that i actually needed this person to do certain tasks for me and he, he wasn't doing them and it was because he almost had this idea that he was like a partner in the business and he was also an entrepreneur, and we were doing this together, and it was his business, and he wanted to spend time strategizing and coming up with high-level ideas. And that's not actually what I needed at the time. I needed somebody to sit down and edit and create content and do the actual sort of hard yards. And um, and so that didn't work out. And, Steve, I remember chatting to you about this. <clears throat> but then I did bring someone on recently as well as a part-time employee. So there was it was a very different vibe. This person was not a partner in the business. They're not... At, on a strategic level or anything they're just there they've got a, a, a recipe like Simon said of what I need them to do we've got software to track his hours we've got a set salary set expectations and so far like it's, it's just like it's much 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 better because I can offload some of the work that I was doing like the editing and the content and then I can work a little bit more on the business like Jason said so I can spend a little bit more time thinking about sales channels thinking about partnerships that kind of thing so i mean it's it's not a lot of experience that i can give i mean i can't give you you know 50 years worth of business experience but from from my experience i I would way rather uh, design a process design a product myself and then uh, test those ideas like uh, like simon said with people who can give you feedback honest feedback but i would rather own that process and then just hire somebody straight somebody who's keen to be an employee just pay them a set salary give them expectations and and grow like that i would way way rather do that than try to bring on like a, a, a partner or bring on someone who's as excited about you as a business. I don't think that uh, that would work for me personally. Uh,
0: with, with yourself and Steven being business owners, sorry, I know I'm like uh, diverging this thing, but do you not think that obviously you've now employed someone to come into the business? Steve, I know you've employed people, but sometimes also the perception as a business owner is that when you employ someone in your business, you expect them to be the same as you. So you expect them to be like the Swiss army knife in the business. And I think the, the biggest challenge I see with business owners is that the moment you try employ a Swiss army knife that pretty much doesn't conform to how you work, it's like, oh, life sucks and these people are cuck and like, wow, 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 wow. But actually, like, that person is not a Swiss army knife. If they were, they'd probably take you on in competition.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, I think just to add to that, I think yeah. exactly that. I wanted my... My first employee to be that, I wanted them to be a mini Steve and know exactly what I knew so that, to be honest, I could sit back and this business could run itself. Um, It was actually my wife said to me, um, because one day I got frustrated with someone that did something. And and then she said to me, she's like, Steve, you need to start looking at what their strengths are. So my strengths in the business are are something different to what your strengths in the business are. So that's where I sat down and then I started looking. And um, what's important for me as well is to point out the, the person's strengths. Um, instead of trying to, well, you didn't do this, well, you did this and you did it really well. And then the other thing is a, a communication back to me to be like, um, what do you enjoy doing? Oh, you enjoy doing that? Let's try to get you to do more of that. Oh, to give you an example, I have one, um, account manager she loves project managing and loves um, project managing websites so i've said to her fine we'll try and then open that as a channel in the business and that's her little um, division looking after that you know i hate project managing websites and i hate building websites but that's her strength and that's what she enjoys so then it's like leaning on that so 100 percent agree with you i wanted someone that was a, a swiss army knife but i'm slowly just starting to realize that within that Swiss Army knife, you have the bottle opener, you have the sharp knife, you have the, the toothpick, or whatever it may be. Yeah. So, yeah, Gideon, uh, you want to give your thoughts on it?
3: Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that's uh, it's a lot of ego as well to try and you know, judge new employees based on your own standards and say, look, I would have done it better. I'm better. They're not at my level. Um, It's almost hard sometimes to admit that someone's doing something as good as you or even better. So I think ego probably gets in the way a little bit there. But yeah, I I definitely agree with you. I think um, a big part of it as well is just very, very, very clear expectations going into it being like, this is exactly what I expect you to do step by step through the whole process and then this is what you're going to get paid on this day and so just like very clear expectations and communication and i think that you know that's something you can always come back to if you're not happy with with how they're performing you can always go back to you know section b of the expectation list and say look this is what we both agreed you would do and i don't feel you doing it or i feel you thriving whatever it is but i'm um, just having those clear um, expectations helps a lot
2: yeah, I, I remember my my previous MD always used to say to me, he's like, Steve, I always hire people that are smarter than me and better than me. And it's fine that they are. So yeah, just before Jason thinks we forgot about him, Jay, let us know. So your thoughts, let so just say you now have an opportunity, someone you can either employ them or give them equity in your business. Where where would your mind go if you had it? Well, definitely not not equity. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh,
1: yeah, no, I definitely employ someone to to kind of fill the the, the gaps within the company. Um, Mainly, that's that's a time gap. Um, but along with that, it comes obviously. I don't have the expertise to market. Um, I think it's quite disrespectful to say. Listen, I read a book from Gary Vaynerchuk, um, <laughs> and I know as much as what you guys know. And and. I, I'd, I'd feel disrespected if someone read a book and said um, about civil engineering, how to build a house or build a structure and truly believe that they, they can do that efficiently. are they called
2: architects? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> architects are another, another story. <laughs>
1: um, no, no. Um, jokes aside. Uh, yeah. So I think it's definitely important um, that I am in a position because of my current employment to actually use that in a way to actually employ someone else um so it's quite weird that i'm working for a boss but uh, working for a boss actually allows me to to spend that money or use that money in other aspects um and yeah i'm super lucky to be in a company that's they actually asked me about this concrete business and they actually um they've wanted to to jump in on board and stuff but again that's just i was never fully comfortable with that because they were always wanting equity or part of not just my business, but a part of me that I just couldn't give at that time. So if I could, yeah, but I think like what Gideon said is that if you give equity away, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, Gideon, but perhaps I misunderstood. But if you giving equity away or you partnering with someone, you, they, they don't have those, the, those tasks, those challenges um, or that idea. They, there's no clear path of what is expected of them. Um, and then yeah, we were talking a bit about ego there, and expecting someone to to do something um, on your level, or you think that that your work is better than theirs. I, I have that daily in my in my job, where um, I find myself wanting to proofread reports written by um, a few of the technicians, or something like that, where it's it's generally perhaps I'm just going off off on a tangent here, but um, generally their work is of good enough quality to send to the client once off, but I've found my ego getting in the way of it, making it just that 100% perfect so it's of what I consider Jason uh, quality, mm. which is necessary. Um, and that's sort of, uh, th- that can translate into a company where you're spending a lot of time um, by not trusting your employees. Um, so I think majority of your time, or you should special consideration should just be put into who you want to employ mm-hmm. um, and then just trust your gut from there and just obviously you don't want to micromanage them but you have to just make sure that they pass yeah, in their task right?
0: mm-hmm. I, I, Gideon mentioned it earlier but like with your new employee with uh, this like performance management software and stuff um, we were chatting about this because again playing like devil's advocate um, there's, there's two things that I wanted to chat about but the first one is you know and A lot of people perceive it in the wrong way because me as a business owner, I want to ensure that I'm, you know, getting the most amounts of time and money out of everyone that works in my network. But even like Jason says, there's such a fine line because, again, that whole uh, concept could be viewed completely wrong. And we're chatting about this, um, you know, with uh, this lady who worked for a company and she's like, "Yo, we have to put performance management and we've got a thousand people. And I said to her, great, I'm going to play devil's advocate. If you need to put performance management software on your people, you don't trust them, yeah. and it's exactly the same as the reports that you're saying, Jason. Because there is a real, real fine line between you know being a business mm-hmm. owner and like almost seeming like you're a control freak. Because now the Oaks are like, I well, do you want to read every single report I do? Like I know what I'm doing." A- and again, the flip side is, if a report is ninety-five percent accurate, how much time are you wasting it, wasting to get it to that extra five percent? Because to the clients actually 90% is okay. And I think that's where a lot of perfectionists and business owners get it wrong is that sometimes 90% is okay. That 10% that you're gonna waste on on like, you know menial things um, is actually pointless. And then the second thing is almost like flipping this whole thing around is I think with the model of people that we've got in the world today, as a business owner, you don't necessarily even have to give away equity. You don't even have to give, like, employmentship to people. There's consultants available. There's people that are available out there that, yes, they're going to charge you a huge amount of money to get a certain thing done. But you're not giving employment away. You're not giving equity contracts. away. You don't have to worry about the contracts. You don't have to worry about anything. That consultant on his own has his own brand that he's trying to uphold. So yes you're going to maybe pay five times what an employee would would charge but he's fixed to your business for 3 months or well, sorry he she is fixed to the business for 3 months they take you to the next level you haven't given away equity you don't need to worry about labor law and your business is 10 times further so I think that's also something for people to consider is that you don't necessarily always have to employ someone or give them equity. There are other options available. And, you know, I fully agree is because, you know, Jason, like you mentioned, you know, it's yourself in the business. How much do you have to give away to take it, you know, to get it off? Because you might get someone in that says... Give me 51% equity. Then it's like, great, dude, I'm the IP and then three years down the line you shaft me and I've got no business. I mean, the perfect example is that Mac, uh, McDonald's documentary where the people had the IP, yeah. they gave the guy a bit of their business and a couple of years down the line he screwed them over that they didn't even know what hit them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that's something you also need to be cognizant of. Yeah. yeah. I
2: think, definitely. I think I'm um, So my business operates on this um, consulting model that Simon speaks of. Um, But as it happens more, and some consultants now have been with me for a year, the the struggle with it is you never get 100% commitment um, that you would from an employee. Um, the thing is with a consultant is, like you said, you give them a three-month contract. Then the thing is, in month two, they're already looking for the next three months, you know. So, so that becomes a struggle. But my only advice would be there, and, and to Jason with this project, is don't rush it. Don't rush into trying to find the employee. It doesn't mean today, after the conversation, go put a role on P-Net, like... Let it all happen naturally. you get like, some equity. you get some <laughs> equity. Oprah <No problem. laughs> Winfrey. Yeah, I think, like, let the, let the process play out. You eventually will come across some junior civil engineer or someone that's studying civil engineering. Or Do you know what I mean? It's just examples, but, but don't rush it. Um, so, yeah, I think, guys, it's been an awesome chat. Um, really enjoyed having Jason on with us. And Gideon, it's always a pleasure having you back. Um and just before we end, does anyone have any closing thoughts that they'd love to leave for our loyal business beers listeners?
0: I'm not a consultant, but I can be one.
2: <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, just to just to wrap up there, I definitely agree with what, what Simon is saying is that there's other options that also they equally incentivize your staff or your employees, but it's not necessarily giving equity in your business. And you can look at cash incentives for staying over periods of time. You can look at rewards for sales staff, like commission, that kind of thing. You can look at profit share for key employees. So there's many there's many ways you can incentivize people to help you grow the concrete uh, product business without actually having to give away control or equity. And I think for you, like, the biggest, the value in, in what you do is the fact that you are a perfectionist and the fact that you, you use your engineering skills to build these incredible concrete products. And you know, product and in the brand that you create around that product and i think um if, if i was going into this and i might not be in a place to say this but i would probably try and specialize in, in one product like one or two products and really build the brand around that and, th- and then start to sort of bring in more products. go from four to ten and, and so on but uh but yeah good luck and thanks guys it was awesome to chat to you again
1: yeah no gideon i 100 percent agree there um I do find myself perhaps just got too many ideas and not not almost pinpointing one or two products um to 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 focus on, and yeah, I think that's obviously it's better just to perfect one product than to have ten mediocre products um so uh, yeah, I one hundred percent agree with that um but on yeah just side note just thanks for having me, I know I'm not your typical guest. I'm just an inquisitive dude just asking a lot of questions and it's it's fantastic just to spend some time with different minded people um i've got a very how do i say just a a forward thinking approach And, and and yeah sometimes it's good just to expand that and just just have a look around when you're walking on a path um so yeah i just appreciate you guys having me here and yeah thanks for the advice and i'll take that moving forward
0: Brilliant. Yeah, I think uh, just on your last point on advice, it's uh, as anybody in life, you know, take the advice that's relevant to you, listen with open ears, and whatever applies to you in the situation, take it. Um, as business owners, you know, don't stress too much, enjoy the journey. Um, it's like it's a really kiff journey that you're on, um, and just, you know, focused. I think that's exactly like you say, Gideon, you know, like. Uh, I called it yesterday a hyper-focus on certain things. And like Stephen said, you know, there's huge takeaways here. Um, focus on what your why is and, you know, the path will become very clear. Um, but, yeah, thanks so much for being on our podcast. Um, I think there were definitely, I can't even say golden nuggets. I think we left a, a gold mine, you know. So, Boxberg dump don't stress, we've, we've, got, uh, we've taken you digitally. So uh, (laughs) just watch out. You know, we might get hacked now from some like crypto oaks trying to mine the gold that we put today. So (laughs) I flippin' (laughs) cheese. Cool. But yeah, thanks, guys. And uh, we look forward to the next one. Appreciate it. Thank you.